Hi, I'm Patrick Coleman. And I'm Kitty Coleman. And this is Diggin' Bones. This is season one, episode five, The Boy in the Bush. Is it the bush or a bush? I have it down as a boy in a bush. Hmm. But I don't know, I don't recall how... uh... A boy in a bush. Yeah, you're right. Not the boy. It's kind of a... It's kind of a change in the titles. It's always been... The... The, and now it's A. Interesting. (laughs) Wow. We're starting off with bombshells. (laughs) Bombshells. Um... So, uh, so thank you for joining us. Um, uh, last week we had a little, uh, sort of best of, and I know it's weird to have like a best of clip show. (laughs) When you're four episodes in. When you're four episodes in. But, you know, I didn't want to leave a week without content. That's right. In this fast paced world, people just, they they can forget you so quickly. Yeah. And here we are in, you know, well now it's June, but it was May. It was the end of May. Yeah. And everybody knows May is Bonkers. Crazy. So we had to do something. Um, you know, I did you did you listen to it? No. <laughs> so you not yet. So then you haven't discovered yet what I'm calling our audience. No. You what? wanna know? Well, obviously. Live reaction here, folks. <gasps> the skeleton crew. Fuck yes. <laughs> okay, good. <gasps> That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Oh, I love it. Good. Um, so <laughs> then we'll just, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll say welcome back, Skeleton Crew. Welcome back, Skeleton Crew. <laughs> um, I always loved working on a Skeleton Crew, too, because, you know, I like, first of all, I'm extremely clumsy, so I need a little yeah. bit of space yeah. to f- to stumble here right, and there. Right, right. Um, can you guys talk to my sisters about this, working at the popcorn shop? They will, they have a lot to say about it. Um and also, I don't know, you just get a camaraderie when things are more difficult. Sure. But the thing with having more space, too, as I understand, is when you were a basketball player, mm-hmm. you were like an immovable object. It's true. And you remain so to this day. <laughs> also, as a person working behind a counter, I was an immovable object. Like, I move without wanting to. <laughs> All the time. But if I focus yeah. on what I'm doing... Your then feet you, are planted. Then you cannot move me. Cannot move her. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um... Red Rover, Red Rover. <laughs> You're very good at it. I was a champion. <laughs> but we digress. We digress. Back to a boy in a bush. Um, so this is the fifth episode. It aired on November 8th of uh, 2005. Uh, at the regular at the regular time slot of eight p.m. on Tuesdays, um, this one is a pretty 
pretty emotional one. Yeah. And uh, apparently it was conceived to ratchet up sort of the emotional stakes um, by presenting the the uh, crew of the Jeffersonian with a, a child victim right. that they then had to sort of deal with in their own emotional way. And it right. causes some... It causes some uh, some uh, angst, right? Very, as well very it clearly. should. Yeah, as well it should. Um, so, so that's sort of the emotional core of the episode. Just to give a quick, quick overview, we uh, we open with uh, Temperance Brennan at a university giving a giving a lecture. Yes. Um, but all of the students seem to be more interested about her book, right? Than, than they are about the actual content of her of her science. Mm-hmm. Um, and just who happens to be in the audience but Agent Booth. Surprise, surprise, Stalker Booth is in the audience. And he starts uh, asking questions which are not pertinent, of course, to no. talk. Very annoying. Um, but he's there because... Why does he think annoying is charming? I don't know. I don't you know. know a lot of people do? Yeah. 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 Men it's and not a women character both trait, like... I guess. It's not a charming character trait. Yeah. I guess I was like that last <laughs> night. <laughs> you were telling me I was a piece of work last night. You were. Um, but we don't need to go into that. Uh, Booth is there to... Another uh, Booth is there to tell uh, Bones uh, about a body that's been found in a field behind a mall, and she needs to scramble her team. They arrive... They find the body of a of a child who's eight years old, I believe. Um, yes, he's eight years old. They bring him to the Jeffersonian to try to identify him and see if he is a missing child that has been reported in the area. Um, they do identify him as that missing child. Um, and so now the hunt is on for uh, a killer. Um, who they suspect is a is a pedophile, and so uh, they roll out. And over the course of this investigation, we uh, see various members of the Jeffersonian dealing with the fact that the victim is a child. Um, Angela has a career crisis, unsure if she's fit to be on the team. Here we are on episode five, and already right. Am I do I belong? Here? Yeah. Uh, Zach is having trouble because he's never worked with somebody so quote unquote small. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, Bones suggests that he, you know, cut off his emotions in, in these cases, revealing that she, uh, worked the scene at Waco, which was yeah. wild. And me. I was wondering if Reich had. What? The writer. Oh, Oh, if she, yeah, um, if if our if our if the author of the Bones mm-hmm. novels had worked at Waco, that was the question I had as well. Um, yeah. We'll have to look into it. It wasn't in her bio, but I mean, it's not. It would seem beyond up. the realm of possibility. Yeah, it would seem like she would be helpful there. So uh, the uh, the the various uh, possible uh, suspects come in, including. Uh, the missing child, uh, Charlie's mother, mm-hmm. who is a foster mother to two boys. She claims that Charlie was her biological son. Yeah. Um, we discover through a genetic con- condition that Charlie has that there's no way that she could be um, 
her uh, her no way that she could be his mother. Right. This leads into uh, Booth questioning about where Charlie came from. It's revealed that she um, took Charlie from his mother who died of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't really take her from his mother. Right. She removed him from his mother's death scene. Right. And without telling anybody. And not without, and not without like knowing him first. Like, right. She, she fostered, had fostered him, him earlier. Earlier. Um, and didn't want him to go back into the system. Right. Um, Booth arrests her for kidnapping, uh, mm-hmm. which is essentially what she had done. Right. This pisses Brennan off to no end. Right. Um, because it's leaving the other foster kids without a stable home. It's revealed that she... The other foster kids being Sean and David yes. Cook brothers. Um, <clears throat> it's revealed that she, uh, uh, Temperance... Mm-hmm. Uh, was also in the foster system, which gives her a ton of empathy for these kids. Right. And she makes a, a promise to the youngest son mm-hmm. that if he talks about um, him taking uh, David to the field, because Angela has... No, Charles Gregory Sanders is the victim. Oh, David's Charlie. The, David is the, foster, is the foster kid. The, the live foster kid. And uh, so David, they t- they talk to David and they say, hey, uh, Temperance says, hey, I know where you're coming from. Um, we, um, we've, we've discovered that it was you in a surveillance video that took Charlie out of the mall. Right. Um, you need to tell us what happened. If you do, we'll make sure that you can stay with your mom. Um, this... This sends uh, Booth into... Uh, yeah, but it was such an emotional scene. I'm getting a little weepy just thinking about yeah, it, Where right. she says, um, they make you put all your clothes in garbage bags. Right. Oh. As if you're garbage. Yep. And then you smell like garbage bags. Yep. As if you're garbage. Oh, it yep. gets me, you guys. It does. Woo! Or she's welling up. I am. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I understand. These can be these can be rough sometimes. Yes. Um, that sends Booth into a panic. Who has to somehow, you know, make sure that uh, Temperance isn't turned into a liar? Which she he kind of she kind of forced his hand, right? But they work it out, and they find out who the killer is. It's the next door neighbor. Uh, you have his name. Oh, uh-huh. It's, uh, I think it's Robert Nelson. Let me double check. Yes, yes, it is. Robert Nelson. It's Edward Nelson. Oh, is it? Yeah. Why do I have Robert? Uh, because Robert is his son, I no, think. Skyler's his son. S- Skyler's his son. Who? Mm. I don't know who Robert Nelson is. It's Edward Nelson. All right. Beg your pardon, folks. Um, Maybe I was thinking about... This is corroborated Someone also else. because of the amount of fluoride that's found all over uh, Charlie's body. Mm-hmm. And uh, fluoride is the connecting clue because um, it is also used in, in pesticides. Mm-hmm. And, uh, th- and the killer is a uh, pest management. Pest control. Yeah. So that sort of is the connecting clue that that uh, that ties it all together, um, and they arrest him. Over the course of this, we also have sort of a side plot of um, of of finding out all about our friend um, 
uh, Hodgins. Right. And, you know, we were talking earlier about people being emotionally triggered because this is a child. Uh And while we do learn about Hodgins, and he's wearing this rubber band, you guys, because he flicks it every time he gets angry. Yeah. It's part of his anger management. Mm -hmm. Um, Cognitive behavior therapy, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And... uh, But I'm also wondering, is Hodgins also triggered by the size of this child and just isn't even able to go there? So it's possible he's transferring his anger. We don't see a lot of his of his emotional sort of. Right. We don't talk about it at all. But Mm -mm. knowing Hodgins like I do, it would be he would have a reaction. Yeah. So. I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt that his anger is a bit of transference. Yeah. I mean, sure, he's annoyed when everybody finds out he's absolutely loaded and their boss mm-hmm. because his family donates the lion's share of the money for the Jeffersonian Institute. Yep. Um, something else that kind of I found odd, though, it, knowing Hodgins, like we do, um, Zach mentions he lives a Above his garage, across the street, across from the tennis courts and the swimming pool. Yeah. I could see Hodgins having a swimming pool because who doesn't love to swim? But Mm -hmm. tennis courts have, oh, that's, that's, you've got to really like tennis. Yeah. To have tennis courts. Well. Or just be completely loaded. So I was like, does he still live with his parents? That's a good question. If he's so upset, why would he? Right. That's a good question. And this is well before pickleball. Right. So you can't say he's caught up in the pickleball fad. And the just pickleball to, craze. Yeah. yeah well before. just that. had to, you know. I also think a, he'd probably have, have a, a lake court. instead of a pool to swim in if he did. Because he would love to be around. Right. All the grime. And but I think there's like a pond. Oh, there probably is a pond. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's wild. Like, he and Zach live on the same property. Right. But they rarely interact right which seems like a strange a strange choice they carpool i mean if you know zach yeah that's true and hodgins as two very different people and their age yeah span is probably what 10 15 years apart yeah yeah i i don't think it's that odd you know this is taking us into the into relationship corner Relationship corner because and there isn't a love interest. There's in this one. not, but I think this. I don't think we always need to focus on mm-hmm. love interests. No, I agree because I, I, I think mean most that, of our relationships in life are not love right. interests. Yeah, yeah, and so this it, this is kind of revealing of the interesting friendship that that uh, that that Zach has, mm-hmm. um, and and I wonder like when when Zach and Hodgins are driving to work do you think it's like just straight silence or do you think they listen to music and what music do you think they listen to i don't think it's either what do you think it is i think it's talk radio and then they bounce Mm. back and go on tirades and just you know this guy's right no that makes sense because hodgins is such a conspiratorial dude which he mentions which he mentions the reason he's so conspiratorial is because he knows he is part of one of those groups that run the world which is the cantilever group right 
And so he is claiming to have inside knowledge of all the like right. the the high power machinations that actually run the the world. Right. He says something and this is not a direct quote, but something like what you call conspiracy theory, I, we call the family business. Right, exactly. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So it's like, uh, I feel like you're, I feel like you're absolutely right, you know, and it's probably, but I th- also think like maybe it's NPR. Pro- it might be like the only pure source of information. Right, like they're listening Earth. to NPR news on the way in, mm-hmm. but like, Hodgins is using sort of the the news stories to sort of spin out his own right. You know what like he he's, knows. He's reading the subtext right underneath it mm-hmm. and talking about it right. And Zach is just like probably pointing out people's errors in right. science. Yeah, that's not actually a yada yada blah blah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe being a little bit argumentative with 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 Hodgkin, Hodgins. Yeah. I don't know. They're, they have a, really- a little. He doesn't argue. Now, th- this isn't, this of course isn't, isn't canon for the show. We're just making right. a supposition. But I think yeah. this, I think we're 100% correct that this is what their convenience look like. Yep. I, I, I think we've nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so. So let's talk a little bit about, about this, this particular murder. This particular body. Um, So there's something that happens when they go to when they go to the field. And they tell Zach. Yeah. To put on the thermal imager. Right. Which is like a full body full body suit. suit with like a cyclops eye. Yeah. Have you ever so our children play a game called Among Us? They do. Yeah. And the little icons in Among Us look exactly like that thermal imager do they? thing. Yeah, they do. And it's wholly unnecessary. Yeah, why would you need your entire body involved? <laughs> When all you're using is your eyes. And one giant, massive eye. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that doesn't make sense about this is there is a technology called FLIR, which does th- thermal imaging. It shows you, you know, what's what are hot spots, what aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's used in a lot of different industries, um, you know, like uh, uh, energy... Um, energy efficiency of a home FLIR is often used to find out where, you know, where your AC might be leaking or where the hot spots are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also used in, um, <laughs> it's also used in ghost hunting, which oh, okay. is what I'm most familiar with. <laughs> yeah. So, looking for cold spots in a haunted house, you know, he wants to believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they're, Handheld devices, uh-huh. like the earliest ones, kind of look like like speed guns, mm-hmm. basically. Um, but they have a, a monitor that you can look at that that you know doesn't involve putting your face directly against it, right? And th- this technology was out and available mm-hmm. when this when this show 
when this episode came out. So mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense at all that they would put him in this massive suit. Right. It doesn't. None. I mean... Was the costume person just like, what are we ever going to do with this thing? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, they have to humiliate him somehow at the beginning of the episode. I mean, they do like to humiliate Zach. And it's such a weird way to start such a serious episode. Mm-hmm. Like, let's put him in a space suit to mm-hmm. find this very, you know, emotionally uh, intense uh, body of a child. Right. It's it's a weird, weird choice. It is a very odd choice. But they... And he only walks like four feet into the field right, before exactly. he finds it. Like, did we really need it? <laughs> so... How about uh, we look around first before we put that thing on? So they find the body and... Um, and Charlie has not been dead for long at mm-hmm. all. But as you've mentioned before... You like a high maggot count. <laughs> I like a high maggot count. Well, yeah, yeah, it seems like you you prefer your bodies to be very maggoty. Oh, it's just more realistic. Yeah, you're not going to, if you have maggots. Right. It's really rare to have a maggot. Right, right. And I this, mean, and, and this like most is... insects, flies lay hundreds upon millions of eggs. Right. So you're not going to have a maggot. Right. And this one is loaded. Yeah. High maggot count. High maggot count. Right. And so they bring the body back and everybody is very, very, having a hard time. Mm -hmm. Especially, especially Angela. Right. But Angela does this thing that is, (laughs) doesn't make any sense to me. So she, the the body is there. Uh Uh-huh. They're trying to figure out if it's this missing child. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a photograph of the missing child up mm-hmm. to to see if like they can match them, right. and Angela is also sketching mm-hmm. to like reconstruct the the face right. of of the child by uh-huh. by sketching, and as she's sketching, it is a carbon copy of yeah. the photograph right that is next to expression her. everything is everything just, it's, it's, it seems as if she had actually turned around and just sketched right. the photograph right not the, right <laughs> and then she sketches it and then she goes oh it's exact it's an exact match right well of course it is <laughs> yeah because you didn't use the body you used the photograph yeah and also this would have been more much more believable if you'd used the angelator Exactly. Right. But, but no. They have to they have to hold the angelator for No, because this big to this episode's big tech was the thermal imager. <laughs> yeah, they still use the angelator though to figure Do out they? Yeah, because of the um to figure out his uh hyoid bone breaking. Xiphoid. Xiphoid. Which leads the us to the xiphoid process. Wait, hold on, we're not there oh. yet. Um <laughs> Which does not lead us to. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. Let, let's let's just go there because they they strip the they strip the body down. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, there's so there's a couple of issues. There's there's a genetic defect that they find right. with his bones. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also find that his what is it? 
Xiphoid. His xiphoid process is broken, indicating that somebody kneeled on his chest. Mm-hmm. And when they find out that um, one of his foster brothers led him out of the mall, right? they're trying to figure out like if that person is the killer, but no matter how they run it through the uh, angulator, like there's no way... Right, he's not heavy enough. That that he could, you know, break break it, even if he was like jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. Right. So what so tell us about tell us about this and, and how it eliminates this this child. Oh well, like we just said <laughs> it eliminates him because he's not heavy enough right. to break the xiphoid. Um what is the xiphoid process? The xiphoid process is the most distal edge of the sternum, sternum or breastbone. And don't you love it mm-hmm. when they put words you don't know in a definition? Mm-hmm. So then you have to look up more. So I didn't know what distal meant, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, obviously, you can get context clues. But distal, for sure, means situated away from the center of the body or from the point of attachment. Mm-hmm. So the... Xiphoid process actually kind of dangles at the edge of your sternum. Um, And it is derived from the Greek word xiphos, which means straight sword. Um, And that is because the the part that dangles looks like the tip of a sword. And then your sternum looks like the... It's not called a handle on a sword. It's called a... Hilt. Hilt. Mm -hmm. That's it. So um, that is etymology corner. Nice. Nice. Um, I was terrified as a child and young adult, having gone through CPR Mm -hmm. classes. Right. um, And learning about, I learned about the xiphoid, Mm -hmm. like really early on. I don't know why, but it was like, I I understood it to be like a... You know, I understood the sharpness of mm-hmm. it, the point of it. Oh, because if you break the sternum and it, it could stab your lung. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been, I've been, I was terrified as a kid. That when you fell, you stabbed some, That like somebody <laughs> would break my xiphoid off oh. and it would, and it would stab my lung. This is not the first of the most oddest anxieties, childhood anxieties that you it's weird. I just, you know, and I and I lived with it for a long time before I realized, you know, the likelihood the is likelihood of pretty small. Right. But it might have been like a movie that I watched with my stepfather where oh, like somebody yeah. was punched in the sternum. Probably. It's like I'm going to break in the xiphoid is going to kill him. Like yeah. a deadly hands martial arts type Super of situation. Super easier just to get that nose cartilage in the brain than Right. <laughs> Taking the risk right. to see if we're let's roll the dice and see if we can break the sternum yeah, and see if yeah, it'll stab exactly, the lung. Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit more about the the work dynamics because what this does is uh, this episode also reveals sort of people's place in the Jeffersonian. Mm-hmm. And you know, since we're talking about Angela and the Angelator, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we have to talk about her her doubt. About who she is, right? Uh, at least in her position, and this this arises from uh, from Doctor Goodman, mm-hmm. who has demanded that the team attend a fundraiser, right? 
Um, it's not a request. Right. It is a demand. Right. A couple of people have a real problem with this. One of whom is Angela, who doesn't feel like she has a place on the team. And does mm-hmm. she really, should she really go to this thing? Because right. all she does is make quote unquote death masks. Right. But she's also just being triggered by the child portion. It's not just the fact that she's an artist, but she's also just sad. She is. She's sad that she hasn't been able to, you know, that she doesn't have the experience. She hasn't dealt with this kind of thing. Right. But also she doesn't feel like she contributes much. Right. Um, to to the team. Mm-hmm. And everybody is trying to explain to her, no, what you do is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's really having she's reticent a, a difficult time, sort of believing herself to be, you know, a real crucial part of the team. Mm-hmm. And Brennan gets actually worried that Ang- Angela is going to quit, right? And they have a very heartfelt conversation about mm-hmm. it. But then Doctor Goodman explains exactly why she's a part of the team. Mm-hmm. And that she is the best of us, he says, and then says what Angela does. Right, because he's <clears throat> he says that the important thing about what Angela does, the important thing about her art, mm-hmm. literally, right, is that what it does is it reminds the team that the individuals and and the the bones, the objects that they're mm-hmm. working with, right, are human. Yeah, returns the. Uh, it uh, brings the humanity back. Right. Absolutely. Right. So, and and that is, you know, kind of, you know, bringing the soul mm-hmm. back to the victims and reminding the team, yeah, mm-hmm. this was a human being. They had a life. Right. And so she's essentially providing that life, which is completely opposite of what she thinks. Right. That she's just making death Documenting masks. the death. Right. right. And, um, yeah, so this helps her feel at ease and mm-hmm. that she's... And, you know, she is a soul sister. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it helps her quite a bit. But Zach says, well, apparently Angela just needed to hear her job description in a deep African-American tone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. It is funny. That was a great line. And Dr. Goodman does have a beautiful voice. He does have a beautiful <laughs> voice, doesn't he? Yes. He really does. Um the other job sort of anxiety comes from Hodgins. Right. And it's not, he, he doesn't want to attend this banquet because mm-hmm. he believes it will out his position as a member of the ultra wealthy. Right. And the boss of everybody at the Jeffersonian because right. his family is like the primary donor and that they're called the cantilever group. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's afraid it's going to, you know, destroy his experience. Yeah, change his relationships and make people look at him differently. Do you think that would be the case? I mean, maybe just because he believes it. Mm-hmm. So he himself is going to change the way he behaves with the assumption that other people are changing the way they would behave. Right. Yeah. And this is revealing that Hodgins is really doing what he loves. Right. Because I have to say, if I had that much money, mm-hmm. I would not still be doing what I'm doing for my job. 
right. I wouldn't. Right. I would, I mean, I would, I would still be a writer. You know, mm-hmm. I would work on our novel. Right. Because that's what I, that's what I love to do. We would work on passion projects rather than. Right. And so it's making ends meet project. It's clear that the science is his is his passion. Right. Because I don't know very many people who would continue working the jobs if they were independently wealthy. Right. I mean, I know a couple of people who are independently wealthy and who have jobs. And um are they doing what they love or are they doing some it just of them out of responsibility? Quite- I think they're just doing it as a as a play for their children mm, mm-hmm. to be like, yes, you go to work every day. I see, I see. Because the choices are, you know, they're not hard, super hard mm-hmm. jobs. Um, you know, in terms of anxiety and right. stuff, they're probably very hard. But like most jobs are hard. It's more right. of it has to do with our emotions about going to them. Yeah. Than the actual job themselves. Now, if you were independently wealthy, mm-hmm. and I, that would mean both of us, I think, were independently wealthy. Uh-huh. Um, you know, unless you got independently wealthy and then left me. No, that okay. would be no fun. Good. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> what fun would that be? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I am going to take a guess as to what you would do all day. Okay. Hit me. Garden. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. You would your you would basically become a professional yes. gardener. Yeah. And you would start with our house. Yep. And then you would probably branch out to branch the community. Out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With a heavy focus on native plants. Yeah. Yep. See, this is a great dream. It's an amazingly great dream. <laughs> Every time I pass an empty lot for sale, I'm like, ooh. I wish I could buy that and just restore its nativeness. So this is like, this would be us in our pure, independently wealthy form. Mm -hmm. Me. I'd also travel a lot. Yeah. Me, a writer Mm -hmm. and novelist. You, a gardener. Right. Traveling, traveling the world. So essentially we'd be professional putterers. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) don't call, don't call writing novels puttering. (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, and you know, gardening takes a lot more physical labor than puttering, but it's a hard still. job. Writing is a hard job. But I, you know, we would have enough room to putter. Right. Outside of our hard work. I mean, yeah, I guess they're both very hard work. But I think that I mean this 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 comes to the to the point that we have approached many times about this about the novel mm-hmm. that we're writing together, mm-hmm. which is what do we call it? Right. I don't want to call it a hobby. I don't. I don't feel like it's a hobby. I don't think it's a hobby. I well, think, I think, it's, a, I think friend... it's a piece. It, it is a. It is a piece of 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 personal. Um, employment, personal engagement, personal work that I feel like is, is very important, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and will, it can eventually turn into, you know, an actual career. We'll see, but you know, whether it does or doesn't, I don't care. We're having a blast. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do like one of our dear friends and neighbors tag on mm-hmm. it called a combined passion project. Mm-hmm. Now, if we can just combine 
your passions with my passions in the garden. Yeah. Meaning well, I, I need more uh, physical labor. Please. <laughs> <laughs> As I age. I got you. <laughs> I see where you're coming from. All right. <laughs> but I am having a blast working on this stuff. It's really fun. Yeah, and I... Um, it, it makes me think, uh, to bring it back to Hodgins, oh, like, uh-huh. you know, if you were to call his his entomology and organic chemistry mm-hmm. a hobby. Right. I think he would be very offended. Right. He would be. Because, because it's not, although he doesn't have to do it. Right. To live. Right. You know, so really where, what, it's like, where's that breakdown between hobby and, you know, is it, is it, uh, is it, you're getting paid for it or you have a certain amount of investment of your time into it. It's been a question that's sort of like been on my mind for, for a while now. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say when I was trying to plant those plants on the side of our house on a very steep hill, Mm -hmm. I was thinking, well, this is a horrible hobby. (laughs) (laughs) As I'm rolling around and keep falling down. Um, it didn't feel like a hobby at that moment, right. you know, yeah. but what does, like, I guess reading definitely feels like a hobby because mm-hmm. I, there's no, f- mm-hmm. but is it physical? No, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what defines a hobby versus what, a my, pa- versus a passion project or something yeah. like that. My embroidery mm-hmm. feels like a hobby. Um, that's, that's something that feels very very hobby like is know, it because th- i'm not the act of sitting because i'm not in no because you sit when you write it. you know playing <clears throat> playing disc golf or falf <laughs> as you would call it uh feels like a hobby mm-hmm. you know um and that's that's active that's that's a you know an active thing yeah. But writing, huh. but writing to me and gardening for you doesn't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't look at you gardening and see it as a as a hobby. It's something we have to do. Yeah, well, it's important to to our home. I see it as important as like, you know, the the way the kitchen looks. You know, mm-hmm. when we when we eventually finish the renovation of the kitchen, I feel like your garden beds and the way. that adds to our environment is just as important to, you know, and I don't consider like, but that's not why I do it. Otherwise I would make, I know lawn, right. Much shorter, but you know, I don't want to do that. Sure. I like the aesthetic of a short lawn, but I don't like killing all of the bugs. Right. And renovating the kitchen is, doesn't feel like, um, that feels like a pleasure to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I've enjoyed that, that process, right? but that's also not a hobby, right? You know, it's sort of an, it's, it's an important part of, of our, of our living. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I'm sure there is like an objective definition of a hobby. Right. I don't want to look it up right now. Right. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll revisit it. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, there it is. Okay. Um, so let's, um, I want to mention that 
there hasn't <coughs> been there hasn't been a montage. Yeah. A folk montage mm-hmm. for two episodes. Right. Gosh, it feels like you're in a lost desert when there's no folk montage. I know, montage. right? <sighs> and this is the And sometimes there's mirages. You think there's gonna be a folk montage. And then it doesn't doesn't it arrive. Turns out dry and dusty. Yeah. Now I think they've tried to make a music an important part of the previous mm-hmm. two episodes. Right. But we haven't you know, we haven't seen like the typical folk montage. Right. Um and this one has that really emotional uh, you know, uh, pulling at your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is by, this is by a group called Star Sailor. <laughs> and I know nothing about Star Sailor. I've they never, never ever entered heard of my them. consciousness. I mean, maybe they were big in the early two thousands. I surmise they were a buddies band. Maybe somebody knew one, them. It's kind of one hit wonder type situation. Was this a hit? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think this, I think they charted. Oh, do you? Yes. Hmm. But I don't think they remained popular. Okay. Like one hit mm-hmm. wonders, maybe. I mean, they're still really well represented on, on, uh, on Spotify. Mm-hmm. They, they have a, you know, they've got um, 511,000 monthly listeners on, on Star- Spotify. Wow. So half a million monthly listeners. So people are hmm. still very much into them. Um, you know, they haven't had a new album in a little while. Mm-hmm. But this one, the, the folk montage came out of um, their... Uh, 2003 album Mm -hmm. called Silence is Easy. Mm -hmm. And this song is uh, called Some of Us. And it really is a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. I liked it quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And so it felt like a very good return Mm -hmm. to the folk montage. As everybody's sort of struggling with the child victim, struggling with their place in the Jeffersonian. It felt like a nice, a, a nice Return right, and so I hope moving forward after this one, they they caught it and said, hmm, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to keep this in because clearly this makes an episode better, right? Hopefully, we'll see. But I'm a very, you know, I'm a very, I'm I'm a huge, I have a huge passion for the folk montage. Yes. So, um, main clue in this, I want to get to science corner because I know I know we're we're. Uh, you know, we're coming up against the, the end of our episode here. Um, and as they're trying to identify the killer, they, they find out that the body has a huge amount of, of fluoride. Uh-huh. And fluoride is what is what connects them to the killer because the fluoride is, is a, a part of uh, his pesticides. Right. And so that's that's the link. He's covered mm-hmm. in this because the killer is covered in it and uses it. Uh-huh. Um, does Hodgins go on a tirade about fluoride? Or does he just mumble he, it? He he starts to. Okay. But he He's, doesn't really he doesn't get deep. Okay. Which is interesting because um, you know, it is a point of contention. 
right uh, for for a lot of people, whether it should be in drinking water or not. Right. Um, here's the thing about fluoride. Tell me. <clears throat> it is um, it is a naturally occurring substance. Right. We saw a rock of it at the Field Museum in Chicago. There you go. It is the 13th most abundant element on the Earth's crust. 13th. 13th. Holy cow. So you would think... So it's everywhere. So it's everywhere. Right. Um, and it gets into water. There's there's a, uh, there's something called the fluoride... It's either the fluorite cycle or the fluoride cycle. Mm-hmm. But kind of like the water cycle, mm-hmm. it's, it's how that element moves through the system. Okay. But unlike the sort of water cycle, which is... You know, evaporates from the sea, goes into the clouds, rain down this rain into mm-hmm. the lakes, lakes flow into the sea. You know, right. we, we, we know this. We've learned this from, mm-hmm. from when we were young. The, the thing about the fluoride cycle is it, it, it also contains human activity. Like mm-hmm. human activity is a huge part of how fluoride gets back into the atmosphere because it's used as a reagent in so many industrial processes mm-hmm. um, that the 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 rock that fluoride comes from, which mm-hmm. is fluorite, right. um, <clears throat> is broken down and that releases uh, fluoride, which then goes into the atmospheres and in the oceans and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's so it's in the water you know, in a lot of places, actually in, in many places in China, it's it's so present in the groundwater that it, it reaches dangerous levels. Oh, wow. And I don't know that there's, like, really necessarily any explanation mm-hmm. of of why it's so concentrated. I mean, there could it could be an industrial thing. It could be just a natural process. Right. Um, but it's everywhere. And, in fact, you know, if there wasn't fluoride in in our water systems um it, it wouldn't be it would be unlikely that we wouldn't get enough of it okay and our bodies appear to need it right particularly in preventing dental caries mm-hmm. uh, because it prevents the activity of bacteria breaking down teeth okay it also can cause sort of a hyper Bone growth. Mm. So if you get too much fluoride as mm-hmm. a child, as your teeth are growing, mm-hmm. you can get something called hyperfluoridesis, mm-hmm. which is an increase of the enamel growth on your on your teeth, which can cause them to look off colored. I mean, it's generally an aesthetic oh, issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also is it in- when you get those white stripes? There you go. Um, it can also increase the uh, density of uh, your uh, your lower uh, backbone. Oh. But that doesn't seem to affect anything else in the body. Specifically your lower backbone? Yeah, just, How just interesting. that. So, I mean, it makes sense. If it's like the, your coccyx? Is that what you mean? Uh, no, higher up. Oh, like okay. the Like the lowest uh, bone in your back. I can't remember. Okay. But the... Uh, <laughs> The thing, the thing about it is, is of course, as the thirteenth element, right? Mm-hmm. It would make sense that if we've been evolving on this earth, our bodies would evolve to somehow incorporate it right into our human. 
process. Right. The way we just interact with plants and, Mm -hmm. you know, animals. Fluoride is, speaking of plants, fluoride is, uh, has very high concentrations in tea leaves. Hmm. Well, what do you know? Yeah. So if you drink, if you drink tea, Mm -hmm. you're probably getting your, your, uh, uh, your daily dose. Yeah, but it's not... See, the thing about fluoride is it doesn't have a daily recommended intake Mm -hmm. because it is so prevalent. They have a sort of different sort of suggested intake. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't need to be listed on um, ingredients. Like you see like potassium on the the back of your food. Uh You don't need to list fluoride on it. Um, The reason fluoride is so present... Uh, present everywhere is because it's what's called a um, mon- monatomic, means it's just one, one. atom, mm-hmm. um, and it's an anion, which means that it's highly negative. So it's a very reactive. It's it's a very it's it's a very strong uh, base, mm-hmm. and so it's rarely found on its on its own. Okay, um, and that's the case for. Uh, for fluorine, which mm-hmm. is the base element that fluoride comes from, mm-hmm. fluorine is uh, diatomic. Means it's, it's there's two of them, mm-hmm. uh, two atoms together, but they're so negatively reactive mm-hmm. that you hardly ever see fluorine, you know, its on its own, natural because naked it, state. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is a gas because okay. it's always attaching to things, mm-hmm. always like gotcha. it can't it can't not. Oh, it's such a codependent element. It's a very codependent element. Poor thing. Which is which is alone time is fine, fluoride. Yeah, which is why fluoride is so important to industrial processes. Right, Mm -hmm. you need it as a reagent to sort of balance. Yeah, balance, get things moving, Mm -hmm. and because it's so excited to help that way that it's probably very easy. Now, it's a total accident the way they found out that that. Fluoride was beneficial for preventing cavities, mm-hmm. um, and it does. And that's a that, that's a huge, you know, public health issue. Mm-hmm. Obviously, right? You know, if you if you have cavities, if your teeth hurt, mm-hmm. if your if your mouth doesn't work well, you won't be able to eat. Your right. nutrition will fail. I mean, it can turn into a very serious issue for a community. Absolutely. Um, so there is some importance in having it in municipal drinking water, but really, I think the controversy is, you know, that that people consider it, you know, a, a poison, which you have to take a lot of it, like a lot mm-hmm. of it to be acutely poisoned by it. Uh-huh. Or you have to use it like as a gas, as a fluorine gas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, combine it with other elements to create, like, hydrofluoric acid, Mm -hmm. for instance. Then it becomes really, you know, a dangerous thing. But as fluoride, it's not going to cause a huge amount of, like, health. So all this idea that it's, like, linked to mental health issues or mental retardation or autism or any any of this stuff, Mm -hmm. those are fairly unfounded claims but at the same time if you were to take it out of the drinking water it's 
present naturally enough in the foods we eat and the water we drink anyway, the groundwater we drink, mm-hmm. that it's unlikely that, you know, suddenly everybody's teeth would be falling so out. So really this head. whole fluoride argument is much to do about nothing. It is. It is. But also what's weird is they don't know why fluoride protects cavities. I I wouldn't call that weird. There's so much in the world we don't know why. They just know that when it's present, there are fewer cavities. But they don't know what the process is. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's, that's sort of the... That's sort of the the, the overview of uh, of fluoride. Fluoride, and of course, it's used in a lot of industrial processes, which means that it's um, you know part of fertilizer, which ties us back to our killer. And there you have science corner for this week. So, do let's do you want to wrap it up? Let's do. Let's let's wrap it up. Let's wrap up this. Um, this episode of, of Digging Bones. Um, bone to pick. Oh, bone to pick. Oh, <laughs> this might be your bone to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when she comes out of her lecture, we see this car that the publishers have given her. Oh, yeah, that's right. And she is parked completely crooked. She's double parked. Yeah. And Bones is like, what the heck? What are you doing parking like that? Booth. Oh, right. Yeah. Booth. My mistake. So he's basically like only assholes park like that. Right. Without that language. We because have, it's an we 8 have p.m. Loss. shoe. We, we have, have loss. loss. Exactly. And it's just bonkers that a genius, that we learn she's a genius right. quite often, would take the suggestion that she claims the publishers told her to right. park like yeah. that. Because, what? So maybe it's she just ridiculous. doesn't understand. Yeah, she, maybe she doesn't understand the social contract. Like you know, you, the, the lines don't mean anything. I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me either. You know, and of course later, she does park normally, right? And then gets upset because somebody dings her car, right? And it's like, Ugh. it's not a great car anyway. Yeah, it's not a great. It doesn't car. even look. It's I mean, a free car. Maybe for maybe for the early two thousands, it was a good car. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at that car like, God, that's dated. It looks well, like a like a Pontiac Bonneville or right. something like it that. It was twenty years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I just don't think anyone with any reasonable intelligence yeah. would think that was a good idea. Right, 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 right. Um, and also, she doesn't seem to be the type to care. Right. Yeah. About her car. Right. Like, there's bigger things she's to not, be interested in. She's not, like, a vain person. Right. And also, it was free. Um, my bone to pick is uh, the the suit, the thermal imaging suit. Oh, right. Totally yeah. unnecessary. Come on. Come on. We don't need to put, we don't need to put Zach in a suit like that. Mm-hmm. I mean... There, you had the technology to do it differently. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. He's not in it for long enough. I mean, it's just the most ridiculous thing. It is I've, the I've most ridiculous thing. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, now, we usually end our episodes with a, with a quote mm-hmm. to sort of keep us on uh, a path of, of enlightenment as, mm-hmm. we, as we move out of the episode and into our lives. Right. 
What what's what's our what's our quote this week? Well, I don't remember who said it, but it was Angela. It was Angela, mm-hmm. and it's anger is only fear turned inwards. That's right. That's right. So keep that in mind. So the next time you get angry, as y'all, you, take a deep breath and ask yourself, what you am I afraid life. of? Yeah, as you go through life. And um, so that's our episode. Hey, thank you, uh, Skeleton Crew, for, for joining Skeleton us. Skeleton Crew! <laughs> thank you to all of those who have uh, subscribed oh, yes. to thank our, you so our Substack. Much. Keep we, it coming. That's we wonderful. Love it. We love to see that you're following our progress on our novel and yep. joining us here at Digging Bones. We expect a lot from June. Um, Not that much from Jul- beginning June, of July. Well, things are things are moving. Yeah. Uh, in in the novel right now. Uh, yeah. So it's it's pretty it's pretty exciting. exciting. We had a little. We had a little kind of a break where not many words were written, but um, we've we've pushed it forward. So things are things are moving, which are really cool, mm-hmm. and it's and it's helpful to have you out there reading our updates, yes. following us along. It gives us a kind of uh, a sense of accountability and a, and a, and a sense of, of fire to to keep it up and community and, uh, and yeah. a sense of community. Um, so thank you for that, and please uh, do not hesitate to uh, to reach out to us. Um, visit us at uh, Married Mystery, that's all one word, dot substack dot com. There you can read our blog posts and get progress on our novel and, of course, pick up these uh, these podcasts. Um, you know, you can you can pay to subscribe. We would love it if you if you felt that our work yeah. was important enough to do that. But you can also subscribe for free um, and there's still plenty of content um, for you for you there. Hey, if you do decide to pay, do a paid subscription, do you get any bonuses? Yeah, absolutely. If you huh. if you decide to pay for the subscription um, at the higher level, you will get a copy, a first edition copy of the book uh, nice. when it's published. Um, and I think for every level of subscription, um, if you give us your name, we will name a character after you in our book. Nice. And there's a lot of characters there. Well, and if you subscribe at all, you get excerpts. You get, well, uh, if, uh, for paid subscriptions, Mm -hmm. you do get excerpts of the book once a month. Yep. And, um, that's, uh, that's it. So thank All you right. very much for, for joining us yes. this week. And sorry about the, the liveliness of our <clears throat> lifestyle here. Yes, we like to record this when the kids are at home, but uh, this week the kids are home. So if you've heard things in the background, that's what's going on. But hey, we're parents. Yep. This is authentically our life. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so speaking of that, I think swim practice is coming up soon. Yeah. Yeah, we got to get them out there. Yep. All right, guys, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week here on Diggin' Bones. Excellent. Bye-bye. Bye.